Jiu-Jitsu is the world's most effective martial art, spanning centuries, even millennia, from the ancient Japanese samurai to today's modern military. Find out what you know about this intense and legendary fighting system. From the dojo to the octagon, we bring the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. Hi, it's Shihan St. Hilaire on the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. Today, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about Jiu-Jitsu for self-defense. Of course, that is the essence of Jiu-Jitsu. That's what it was made for. Um, it is the pre- premier uh, self-defense martial art in the world. It is the precursor to many martial arts that are out there today used for self-defense, like Aikido and Judo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Sambo and other arts around the world. So today I just really want to talk a little bit about how to keep that mindset of self-defense when you're doing Jiu-Jitsu. So certainly Jiu-Jitsu can be used for sport and competition, uh, can be used for military combatives, but just for regular everyday self-defense for a person It is the perfect martial art because it uses science and physics uh, in your favor in order to have you defend yourself. So there are a couple key characteristics that you absolutely have to have uh, in jujitsu to make it good for self-defense. And the first one is that it's easy to learn and easy to remember. So if you have complicated techniques, um, you're not going to be able to pull them off in real life. Right? Somebody grabs you by the shirt and starts pounding you in the face. You are not going to be able to execute anything that's fancy or takes more than a couple of seconds to execute. It's going to have to be quick. You're not going to have time to think. It's going to have to be something that's burnt into your brain already, and you're just going to have to execute it right away. If your techniques that you're learning in your dojo seem a little over-stylized maybe or a little complex, then that's a red flag. At the Kobukai dojos, when we go up through the various ranks, we don't make the techniques harder to learn, right? They still remain simple, easy to grasp the concept, a little bit of practice, you know, easy to execute. What makes them a more advanced technique is really the ability for the person you're training with to receive the technique. They become more dangerous to the opponent as they go up in rank, but do not become any more difficult to execute. So keep that in mind. They have to be easy to remember and easy to execute. The next thing you have to make sure is that in self-defense, the techniques have to work. And they have to work most of the time against most potential attackers. That certainly means you have to have a little bit of a wide array of techniques, right? You have to be able to handle yourself when you're striking against somebody that's tall, short, strong, Maybe they have a weapon. Maybe your fighting is taking place on the ground or up against a wall. So yeah, you certainly have to have a little bit of of knowledge, but you can't have techniques that only work against a cooperative partner or only work in the dojo or only work when you say, no, grab this wrist. No, I meant that wrist. You know, that's, that's a red flag again. The techniques have to be so simple and clear and understandable that you can execute them against most of the people you're going to run to in a, run into in real life. Let's not be ridiculous about that, though, because one of the things that self-defense has done in America is try to convince people that 
you can be completely out of shape and just learn some self-defense techniques and be able to take down some 300-pound dock worker or some MMA champion. And that's just not realistic, right? If you're a 110-pound woman who does no physical training whatsoever and I show you a few techniques and you can execute them in the dojo, that does not mean at all that you're going to be able to execute those in real life against somebody who's bigger and stronger than you and wants to hurt you. So there has to be some realism to those techniques. A good instructor will understand which techniques are best for you and your body style and size and your natural gifts. So that's important. But remember, you can get in trouble no matter how many techniques you know. If somebody is twice your size and they've got a little bit of experience or are in a rage, the best technique you have is to either run away or use a weapon, right? Shoot the person. You are not going to be able to grapple with a person like that. So let's just keep some realism and make sure that the self-defense you're being taught has some realism against it. You also have to think about all the different positions that may happen, right? People are going to punch you or kick you or tackle you and strangle you from the front, from the rear. They're going to grab your arms, your legs. They're going to hold you against a wall, push you down uh, on a car seat, you know, jump on you uh, in bed or on the floor. I mean, you have to have an array of self-defense techniques to handle all of those type of situations. If you don't, you're going to get in trouble. So make sure that your, you know, the jujitsu art you're learning covers all aspects that you're going to run into. Now, I'm not saying that for each one of those positions I just mentioned, you're going to need to have five different versions of techniques for each one of those positions, because that's just going to confuse your brain, right? You need to have your one primary thing that works against everybody and a backup plan just in case, right? But you don't want to get into so many techniques that you're into like analysis paralysis when you try to think of what am I going to do in this situation? So you definitely don't want to do that. You also have to have an environment that trains you to adapt to the situations as they change. Somebody might start to choke you up against the wall, and as soon as you start to move and to escape from that, they see it and they feel it, and, and they change what they're doing. You're going to have to be able to understand how to flow from one thing to the next. You also have to be adaptable to a different type of potential attackers you're going to have. Could it be somebody who's got wrestle, wrestling experience or other martial art experience, or are they a, you know, a puncher or a street fighter or you know, somebody that already does uh, jujitsu? I mean, you really have to understand how all of those situations are going to work right? Because it's going to be messy and it's going to be fast and it's going to be scary and painful. You have to know how to react in those situations. There is very little realism to what you see on a martial art movie, right? Which is always the guy with martial arts is just so much better than anybody that could possibly lay their hand on them that they're just throwing them around the room and mopping up the floor with them. That is not the reality of a fight. So get that out of your head. And if anybody is teaching you that in your dojo, Again, run because you are being taught things that are going to get your ass kicked and you don't want to do that. The next thing I think about real self-defense when you're using jujitsu is it's going to work against somebody who is fully resistant. It's okay when you're learning a technique, right? When your instructor is saying, hey, here is how you do uh, a hip throw or here is how you do you know, a wrist twist or, you know, here's how you do a choke and you're working with a semi-cooperative partner and you're going through your moves and you're doing endless repetition, which is, you know, what the brain needs to be able to learn and react fast enough. And, and that's okay. But there has to be some point where you're trying to execute your techniques against somebody who is fully resistant to you doing that. They do not want you to stop them from what they're doing. And we can only get kind of to the 90% 
95% of reality in the dojo, right? Because otherwise somebody's going to get significantly hurt. But that is not to say that you can't have a completely resistant partner once you have learned these techniques. If somebody wants to start punching you in the head, put your mouthpiece in, maybe they put some gloves on and they grab onto you and they just start pounding on you, right? And you've got to figure your way out of that. You've got to try to execute your techniques and do whatever it takes to be able to defend yourself in as safe of a situation as you possibly can. That's one of the reasons why some of the arts like uh, judo and, and, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and and other arts that have heavy competition tend to look at the traditional version of martial arts, I don't want to say with disdain, but kind of saying, you know what, it's it's cool, you can execute that crap in the dojo, but, you know, come into the ring and let's see how that really goes. And they're right. They're 100% right, because if you aren't doing this against somebody else who's fully resisting, you really do not know how to execute these things. Just a little side story that goes with that and how I learned that. Again, I had mentioned probably in another podcast that I was very lucky that the first dojo I was involved in with jiu-jitsu um, already had 50% standing techniques, 50% on the ground, um, weapons defenses, and they did, you know, I don't want to call it competition, but they did something like competition in the dojo, which was just put in a mouthpiece and go at it, just start punching each other, right? No protective equipment, see, you know, see who wins or get on the ground and start wrestling with each other or wrestle on the ground while striking, And so I kind of was brought up in that environment and felt like I really knew what was going on. But I do have to tell you that when I went into the military, as I mentioned before, I I got to teach a lot of different groups, you know, hand-to-hand combat when I was in there. I was teaching the Washington, D.C. Police Academy instructors. And these guys were gigantic. They were huge. You know, here I am. I'm, I'm in the army. I'm in my late 20s. I probably weigh 160 pounds. You know, here are these guys that are like six foot three, six foot four, you know, 260 pounds of solid muscle. You know, here's this little guy showing them some techniques. So, I mean, luckily I was already a black belt. I already really knew what I was doing. And so, you know, I was able to instruct them. But I will tell you that about two or three days into that instruction is when they started you know, just not believing anymore. And it was, we are just going to resist everything you do. And I knew kind of right at that moment that I was either going to make this work for real or I was basically going to be laughed out of the place. So I didn't want the second one, obviously. And I just really just did it 100%, right? I mean, I went almost as if I was trying to like actually break their bones or throw them on their head. I had to earn that respect I had to learn at that very moment what it really takes to do something on somebody that's 100% resisting outside of the dojo. And that was an eye-opener for me. Everything changed after that. My entire approach and attitude towards self-defense absolutely changed. And I knew that everything I did and everything I taught, every student I ever had, had to be 100% realistic able to work against somebody who is resisting you fully. So that's something you really have to make sure that you're doing in your in your self-defense uh, training. So quickly, just to talk a little bit about training and make sure that your training is, is going correctly, there's a few things that you may have to make sure is happening in your training. Number one, you need to have a ton of repetition, right? The way your brain is going to learn is it's going to learn the components of the techniques that you're you're being taught. Then it's going to learn how they work and your body mechanics. And then slowly over time, your brain is going to get bored of the repetition. It's going to want to move on to something else. 
And that is the point where your brain actually starts really learning those techniques, right? After the 5,000th, you know, repetition of, uh, you know, some kind of takedown with a choke at the end, your brain's like, okay, can we get on to something else? And right then those repetitions that you do after that, that's where your brain really, really, really starts learning. So it's important to do a ton of repetition. You don't have to do hard repetition, right? You don't have to be killing yourself. You can certainly do it light, but it's it's really about creating those neural pathways between your body and your brain and getting it into the un- unconscious portion of your brain. The second piece is your training has to be realistic enough where it, it hurts, right? So you can't just do a technique and you're done. Okay, I did my turn, now you take your turn, right? You have to really make it so that, you know, uh, you do your technique and your partner gets slammed or gets choked or gets arm barred. And it's, it's pretty damn painful enough so that when it comes to your turn, you're kind of dreading it. Like, Oh crap, you know, it's, it's going to really hurt because if you don't get that close to breaking that person's arm or choking them unconscious, you really do not know what it takes to get to the point of doing it successfully. So you know what, if you're doing a real martial art, there's going to be a lot of pain. And you just have to embrace that pain. If you're, if you can't take it, if you can't take the pain, if you can't understand in your brain that it's just a way of learning, then you're really not going to make it and you're probably doing the wrong kind of thing. Going along with that, a real dojo or a real training hall or training camp or academy, whatever you want to call it, has to have, I don't know, sort of this little air of, of danger and fear, right? Because real self-defense is dangerous. So, it's it's not that there aren't martial arts schools that are okay for you, uh, for somebody, right? If they want to go in there and get a little bit of fitness and learn a little bit of self-defense and have a, you know, camaraderie and go out for drinks and, and not be too sore at work the next day or not get a bruise, you know, that's fine, right? That's fine for some people. But for people that want real self-defense, that is not the environment, right? I always say it is not a dance class. You want to look at what's going on in that room, maybe as a new student, and just be like, that is ridiculous. I have to leave right now because those people are insane. If you're looking at that, you're probably looking at the real deal. So you've got to make sure that it is a very realistic training environment where people are struggling with each other because it is difficult and they are dangerous people, right? You're looking at them going, I, I don't want to roll with that guy or I don't want to spar with that guy because he is going to kick my ass. And if you're in that kind of environment, then you're probably in in the right environment. That being said, the more of the environment like that that you're in, the more beating your body takes. And you are going to get bumped and bruised and probably get some cuts along the way. You're probably going to get tapped out by a bunch of people that look like you should be able to beat them up. Uh, but you can't because their techniques are so good. So when you're in that atmosphere where there's just a little bit of fear going on every day, no matter how, how many times you show up, there's always something like, oh boy, here we go. Then you're probably in the right kind of self-defense environment. A couple other things you need to do unrehearsed self-defense. So that's not the same really as the competition. I'm not talking about, you know, doing Nawaza, which is the ground fighting or rolling as people are starting to 
know it. That's more of the chess game where you're, you know, you don't know what your partner is going to do, but you're all trying to do stuff against each other. And it's, and it's, uh, it's a, it's a chess game, right? Who's going to arm bar or who's going to choke? Or who's going to footlock somebody first because of some little mistake that the other person made that that's great for training, but there's another type of unrehearsed training that you need to do. And that's unrehearsed self-defense. And that is literally um, your opponent uh, or your, you know, your training partner can attack you any way they want. Um, and typically it's not, I'm not attacking you with jujitsu. I'm not running up and trying to throw you. Oh, so to Gary or do some kind of fancy flying arm bar. This is where they're just going to grab onto you and start pounding you in the face, or they're going to tackle you like a football player, or they're going to come up behind you and they're going to wrap their arm around your neck and, you know, try to strangle you and drag you down to the ground, or they're going to try to kick you in the balls, or, you know, um, they're going to push you up against the wall and put out a knife and try to poke a bunch of holes in your stomach. It's those things where you have no idea what the guy's going to do, and then you have to respond to it. And you will find for a while that you have no idea what you're doing, right? You could have a hundred techniques under your belt and somebody does this kind of attack against you and you just like, look like an idiot, right? Your, your hands are flailing around everywhere. Um, you know, you're getting beat up, uh, nothing's working and it's a good learning experience, right? It takes a little bit of time to kind of calm the mind down understand what it's like to be really, really attacked repetitively and you have no idea when or how it's going to happen and then being able to respond. One of the things that, and we're going to have a whole other podcast about this, but one of the things that allows that to work really well is the whole concept of doing, allowing your body to do what is natural, right? So it's natural response to being attacked and then kind of blending that right segueing into your trained techniques so first is your is your natural response and then second is your trained response if you try to always respond with your trained response you'll rarely be able to do it every once in a while it works but it's not fast enough Um, it's not a quick enough response so you have to allow your natural response to happen first as an example when you're being attacked You're going to do a couple of things naturally, no matter how you're trained. It's either going to be to push away the danger, right? So your arms are going to push out in front of you in some way to try to keep that danger away from you, or you're going to cover what your body thinks is important, right? Um, Usually the first choice that your body makes is to cover your head. And then it tends to want to cover, you know, your, uh, like your stomach, lower chest or groin area second, um, and, and that's a very natural reaction. So somebody throws a punch or runs at you, it goes to tackle you or, you know, pulls out a knife or tries to hit you with, you know, a lamp, whatever. Your body's going to do one of those two things. It's going to try to push away the danger or it's going to try to cover, right? And so allow that to happen. Just allow that to happen. It happens at like a million miles an hour because it's just a natural built-in primal instinct that you don't have to train or control. So allow it to happen. Then segue from that into your techniques. So we're going to do, like I mentioned, another podcast about that and really get into detail about that because it's incredibly important for real self-defense. But keep that in mind uh, when you're thinking about um, self-defense. The last couple of things I want to talk about when we're talking about real self-defense is two things that you know are constantly taught in dojos in about as wrong a way as I can possibly imagine. And that is the whole concept of um, multiple attackers. I, I don't know where that came from. I'm thinking it probably came from like martial art movies where, you know, 
Bruce Lee was standing in a circle and five people attack him and he's like throwing kicks and tossing people around and all that kind of stuff. But I will tell you that is a hundred percent fantasy movie stuff. It does not happen. And people say, no, no, it does. I do it. I do it in the dojo all the time. And, you know, and I'll say, okay, show me how you do it. And again, it's the same thing, right? They'll get two or three or four attackers in a circle and then the people attack them one at a time. So it doesn't really matter how many people are there. If they're still attacking you one person at a time, that's just being attacked by one person, right? So, Great for a training exercise, but no, no reality to that whatsoever. I will tell you, just take two people, right? Just take two people in the dojo. You stand in the middle and tell them to attack you simultaneously. Both jump you at the same time. Yeah, maybe you'll get a chance to hit one of them, but more than likely what's going to happen is they're going to beat you down and take you down. And that's just the reality of, of how it is. Okay. You, you are not going to be able to do that. Now there are some, some tactics and some strategies that you can use in a multiple attacker situation that gives you a better chance. But essentially those strategies turn it into a repetitive defend against one person at a time. They're, they're not about simultaneous attacks. They're really about body positioning and putting yourself or putting other people in the right place for you to be able to handle them one at a time. Again, that's not reality. Take that out of your repertoire is something that you want to spend a hell of a lot of time on. It takes you forever to learn how to control your own body. Then it takes you a while to learn how to control somebody else's body. When you start multiplying that, it's just not realistic. And the last thing that is weapon defense. The ones that I see most often, and, and it's the ones that we teach in our dojo too, are defense against a handgun and defense against a knife attack. The first thing to remember is when somebody gets attacked with a, a weapon, a knife attack or a, a gun attack, it's an assault. And it's usually an assault you do not know is coming. And they have a significant advantage over you in, in every way, shape, or form. You have no idea that it's coming. And not only that, it's got a bullet or a blade and you're in trouble, okay? So no matter what you know, no matter how long you've trained in jujitsu or combatives or any other martial art, no matter how many gun or knife techniques you know, you literally have a 50-50 chance of being successful. That's it, 50-50 chance. I'm not sure how many 50-50 chances you take in your life. I know some people that wouldn't take those odds at all, right? They like to have the odds in their favor. And this bet that you're, you're making has to do with your life. You do not want to do a weapon defense in real life, if at all possible. If you can escape in any way, that is your first choice. It's only when there is no other choice are you going to have to defend yourself. And that's not really how we train people all the time, right? It's always about here comes the attack. And because you pay to come to a dojo and somebody's training you how to do jujitsu, we're expecting you to do some kind of jujitsu technique against that. We're expecting you to engage somebody with a weapon when in fact, that is the first wrong choice. It is definitely get away from that person however you possibly can. And then if you absolutely cannot get away, then you have to defend yourself. We're going to do a whole podcast about weapon defense because there's a lot of nuances to it. But let me tell you this, no matter what you know, again, back to what I talked about before, no matter what you know, you are going to do the natural thing first when somebody pulls out a weapon. You're going to push away danger or you're going to cover. And then you have to segue quickly into your techniques. Most people, whether it's a gun or a knife as they're being attacked, try to grab it. 
they try to, you know, if they don't try to grab the weapon itself, they try to grab the hand that has the weapon in it. And it doesn't matter how much they train to not do that. It is just a natural reaction. When you're doing weapon defenses, you need to work from those type of positions. We will talk about that more in the future, but I just wanted you to really think in your head that if you had to defend yourself against a weapon, the odds are not good, and you're probably going to be in a lot of trouble. So if you can disengage, run away, whatever that takes, that is absolutely the way to go. And finally, before I close this out today, I want to talk a little bit about jujitsu and self-defense from a larger standpoint. And that is how jujitsu continues to develop as it should. When the Japanese warriors were on the battlefield, they knew that they were going to have to defend themselves against somebody with a sword, a long sword, with a short sword, with a knife, a tanto, probably with a spear or a pike. Probably there were going to be people that were on horseback and there were other battlefield weapons that they were going to have to defend themselves against. Of course, they're going to choose their own weapons systems first as defense against those. But if they became unarmed, they needed to know how to take care of themselves against those type of situations, those weapon defenses. And then potentially, if everything went wrong, they might have to defend themselves on the ground, right? They start grappling. So they had to know what to do there. But we're not in the 17th century battlefield anymore. And most of us that are practicing aren't soldiers. If we were, we'd be doing combatives. So what is it that we're training to defend against? What is most likely to happen in your world, in your life? Those are the things that you need to spend the majority of your time on. Yep, you should be prepared for a lot of different situations, but what is most likely to happen? Are you the type of person that's going to hang out in a place that's got a bunch of biker gang people that are probably carrying knives or shanks of some sort? Some of them may have other weapons. They probably have chains other type of improvised type of things, and they're very aggressive. You know, no matter what happens, there's a likelihood of a fight happening. Well, if that's the case, number one, I'm sorry that that's the case, <laughs> but if, if it is, then that's the kind of stuff you need to train to fight against, right? Or are you a guy that jumps in his car every morning and goes to the office and does his work behind a computer and then goes to the gym after work and then stops at the grocery store and grabs some money from the ATM and goes home and has a glass of wine with his wife and watches TV at night? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just you need to train for the stuff that's going to happen if that's the case, right? Is somebody going to maybe hold you up at an ATM machine? Is there a possibility that somebody's going to carjack you because you got a really nice car that you work for while you're sitting at a stoplight? Is there any potential that you're walking across the parking lot after grocery shopping and it's dark and somebody's going to want your wallet? What other situations do you commonly find yourself in that may have danger? Well, then that's the kind of things you need to train for in jujitsu. I don't want you to learn 200 techniques that you spend five years learning when, in fact, you're probably going to be in a situation for like 50 of those, right, or 30 of those. I can teach you all of those techniques so that you can get your black belt, but where I really need to focus and where you need to focus and take responsibility for are the things you are going to need. So put the most practice uh, into those type of things. Same as if I was training combatives with a soldier, I would say, listen, I love wrestling around on the ground. It is a blast. I love doing Nawaza, but you know what? We're only going to do a little bit of that, and it's going to be directly associated with you 
um, stopping somebody from using their weapon against you while on the ground or you using your weapon while you're on the ground and being able to defeat them, disengage, get back on your feet and move out with your mission. Or I'm going to do a lot of weapon defenses that have rifles being used and pistols and things that you're going to run into probably as you're clearing a building or something to that effect. I'm not going to spend a heck of a lot of time teaching you the nuances of how to use a bow staff or something. And we totally don't use a bow staff in jujitsu, so I'm just being funny. But, you know, you kind of get my point as to, you know, what you have to do when you when you train. The last thing, really it's the last thing this time, I know I just said that like five times in a row, is do not associate somebody's ability to defend themselves with whatever color belt that they're wearing. That is not meaningful. Colored belts in the dojo are really for the instructor to know what groups are working on what materials, and maybe they're a little bit of uh, an award as you move up through the ranks, but they're just not meaningful as far as your self-defense ability. Only your ability to actually do the techniques against somebody who is 100% resistant and trying to hurt you with anger, that is the only thing that's meaningful. That's the only thing that tells you what level of self-defense ability that you have. I'm hoping that some of these thoughts that I had about self-defense and jiu-jitsu are helpful as you do your training and you're in your dojo and you're thinking about, hey, you know, is this realistic? Can I really do this? Is this real self-defense? If it has a lot of the characteristics that we just talked about, it's probably real self-defense. If it doesn't and you're interested in real self-defense, you might have to look elsewhere. So again, this is Shion St. Hilaire. I really thank you for taking the time to uh, check out the podcast today. Enjoy the rest of our podcasts at Jiu-Jitsu Master. Jiu-Jitsu Master.